Hey, what's up, listeners? Hawkeyes and Tall Boys tonight is brought to you by Bushlight Beer and the new orange cans. If you guys happen to get these new Hunter cans, scan the barcode on the back and you can play Big Buck Hunter all you want. Go Hawks! This is Parker Hesse. This is Sam Branks. You have the pleasure of listening to Hawkeyes and Tall Boys. Cheers, motherfuckers. Welcome to the Hawkeyes and Tall Boys podcast. Featuring your host, Bo Freeborn. You know, guys, even though we get two conference losses, we're still going to end up 9-3. and three. We're going to win the West, for sure. Dylan Pond. Here's the thing, fellas. I'm going with it. 12 and fucking hell, baby. We're going to do it. Let's fucking go. Woo! And Rob Wall. I mean, that would be shocking. But we can do it. I mean, I think we can. So crack a tall boy. And go on. Okay, welcome into another episode of Hawkeyes and Tall Boys. My name's Rob. I'm Dylan. And I'm Bo. Cheers, guys. So, Bo, you are drinking that that bush light with the uh, big buck hunter on the can. That's dope. Big time. I got 60 of these bad boys over the weekend, and uh, you guys won't imagine how many times I've played big buck hunter already, dude. These cans are freaking sick. If you <laughs> listeners out there haven't gotten any, totally go get you some. Get you some. They're freaking sweet. That's awesome. And then Dill, obviously looking super sharp with the uh, the haircut there, just in the front. Thank though. you, thank you. You know, a young man named Sammy Brooks, after winning the Big Ten title, once gave a speech about growing a mullet. You know, he compared growing a mullet to winning a Big Ten title, specifically a Big Ten wrestling title. And, you know, he said, just like growing a mullet, you know, it takes a lot of care, a lot of perseverance. You know, there's some hard times in there, but, you know, eventually you get to this where you get long enough in the back, you get to put the racing stripes in and you're ready to rock. <laughs> Go. That's the best description of a haircut I've ever heard. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you very much. Um, and we are here. We are brought to you by Bush Beer and Bush Life. And, uh, we are going to get into another episode, guys. We have a lot to talk about. We wanted to cover um, this last weekend's win against the Nebraska Cornhuskers in Iowa City at Kinnick. Um, it was an interesting game. Of course, we're going to get into some mailbag questions that we have. And then, of course, we're going to preview our matchup this Saturday against Illinois. So, got a lot to get to. But first... Let's go ahead and rewind it back, and let's talk about this last Friday, Black Friday, a tradition unlike any other, um, where the Hawks extended their win streak to six straight wins against the Cornhuskers, but it wasn't without adversity. Final score of this game, 26-20. I'm going to start it off, guys. I had friends that listened to our podcast, and because all of us – were very adamant and confident about going with the under on this game. They bet the under, and they were in the win column and took home some fat stacks. Love it. Love it. Good work, boys. Good work, boys. So that's so listeners out there and degenerates alike, make sure you tune in because, you know, it turns out we do kind of sometimes know what we're talking about. Hashtag <laughs> fans with sources. Love it. That's right. Dude, that was a tough game, though. Like – 
You know, Rob, you brought this up. It was supposed to be, so we played on Black Friday. We were not supposed to have it on Black Friday back until 2022. Thankfully, we got it back this year. Bless up on COVID. Uh, but what really stuck out to me was the run game. I'm sure we can all kind of attest to it. We all thought we were going to be able to run it down their throats. And the first half, Nebraska came to play. They switched up their defense, started, started with a 4-3-D, and they really shut our run game down. So we had to really rely on the pass game and Spencer Petrus to – to bring us up and, and, and score some points on the board. So kudos to Nebraska's defense in the first half of the second half. We really got that run game going and our D or our offense really looked like they were humming on the ground. So uh, Dill, what'd you think about that? Yeah, overall guys, it wasn't pretty, it wasn't pretty, but you know, the one thing we got to remember is the trophy games never are, you know, we, we knew Nebraska was going to come in guns blazing everything they had. Uh, you know, Adrian Martinez looking for his first win versus the Iowa Hawkeyes and uh, himself played a hell of a game. Hats off to him. And, yeah, like I said, it wasn't pretty. Got the job done. You know, it took four field goals from Keith Duncan, uh, a servable, serviceable effort by Spencer Petras, and I know I got some buddies rolling their eyes there. Um, and we, we can get a little bit more into, you know, Spencer Petras' performance a little bit later, but – no, overall, guys, we got this done on the run, on the ground. Uh, specifically, Tyler Goodson, you know, 30 carries, 111 yards. You know, once again, getting up over that 100 yards mark. Um, and you just can't say enough about our defense. And another thing we'll get into here in a little bit, but having given up more than 24 points once this year, uh, I mean, just just an incredible stat for a team that's only four and two right now. So, uh, yeah, and that streak you know, stretches back. About. That's that holding opponents stretches back for 13 straight games uh, dating back to last yeah. year. So, yep. It's, it's been an impressive run and, and they continue to play well, despite this, the, the carousel of uh, losing people in the, in the off season and uh, players opting out and things like that. I will tell you guys, when I watched this game, especially after the first half at halftime, you know, I was a few beers deep and I was like, pulling my hair out almost like we talked about this on the podcast. I kept telling to anyone who would listen, like we talked about how, if all Nebraska, what Nebraska needs to do to win the game, basically Blaine, I was just thinking of Blaine basically, but like all they have to do is stop the run. And then I don't know what we're going to do. And they did that in the first half and they show, I mean, they went up by, um, you know, it was tied at the first half. Obviously, I was a little scared. And then they went up by seven. They came down and scored. And all of a sudden, we're down 20 to 13 in the third quarter. Um, but then we put together a drive, and we and we tied it up. And uh, from there, it was two field goals in the second half. I'm sort of glossing over a lot of things. But, guys, I was a little bit scared, but we stuck with the run, which I didn't know if we were going to. Dude, and kudos to Brian Ferentz for sticking with the run, too, because I don't know if, about you guys. I think I would have almost already started to allude to the past. But honestly, I was I was looking back and I looked at my parents. I was like, man, this is giving me shades of Northwestern and Purdue. Like, we're going to fucking lose this game. Like, this is unreal. But kudos to Brian keeping on the ground. And honestly, my bad vibe last week was Keith Duncan. Way to prove me wrong. Four for four on field goals. I love me and prove wrong. Appreciate it, Keith Duncan. He, he was four for five there, Bo, because remember, the, he, he actually missed the 50-yarder to seal the game, you know, and then Nebraska went for their potentially game-winning drive, 
You're right. Or uh, who was it? Was that uh, Heflin that came down with that interception? So, no, Van Valkenburg okay. caught it, but um, Chauncey Golson forced it. Okay, right. Yep. Yep. So, oh, that's right. They call it a fumble, which I, that makes no sense to me. It looked like the ball was going forward, but whatever. I mean, I, I don't really care about that stat. That's well, good for him. Good for him for catching it though like even if they would have ruled it a forward pass it was still could have been incomplete so good for him for at least cradling it and getting the interception fumble recovery whatever you have it right no absolutely and again I know we I touched on it earlier but you know shouts out to our defense once again bailing out that offense that's you know a little bit lackluster this year I hate saying that but literally that's what they've been doing they're Mm -hmm. just the unsung heroes man they are just just like, and they're not doing it in a very, I mean, that play was flashy, but like, I feel like they're just above average, very consistently. And then they're, they have spikes where they'll, they'll take a, they'll, there'll be a turnover. There'll be an interception. There's a play like that where they just get to the quarterback and something happens. One thing I wanted to touch on, and too bad Blaine's not here because I'd love to ask him, and he probably wouldn't even know the answer. seems like he was three sheets last week, so if you're listening, Blaine, hope uh, (laughs) – I'd love to have you on the podcast again. But, um, no, uh, what the hell was up with – like, I'm asking you guys as if you know, but why do they keep switching quarterbacks? It was like every other drive. I can tell you that it's because Adrian Martinez, to be honest, up till this game, he was pretty inconsistent with the passing game and Frost is looking for something that is going to be flashy, get them the ball down the field. And honestly, Luke McCaffrey has been that spark all year and he's going to be the future of the program. So why not get him more snaps, get him more used to that big 10 defense and big 10 play um, than to have him in a rivalry game that means something, especially for a team that has only won two games this year and is really looking for a spark. Adrian Martinez, like Dylan said, played incredibly. I think he only missed two or three passes and then obviously had that fumble pick at the end of the game, but honestly was moving the ball against, you know, obviously a top three Big Ten defense in Iowa, and he looked actually pretty spectacular when he was in, but at the same time, the reason why you got to switch is really to get your hot hand in, figure out who's going to get you the best play, and uh, and honestly, I, I think it worked in their favor to go back and forth with McCaffrey and, and Martinez. Yeah, I, I definitely uh, agree with part of that, Bo. Uh, I think that worked well in their favor, especially because Luke McCaffrey was having a lot of success in the run game. Uh, I think it's been well documented over the years that Iowa struggles with those running quarterbacks. And, you know, once again, proved that again on Friday. Uh, the one thing I will disagree with you on, Mo, however, and, and, and it's mainly because I thought a lot of people on Twitter about this, you know, regarding the Iowa Hawkeyes, people saying, you know, why not just throw in Deuce and, you know, let him, you know, go through his growing pains and let's not even just deal with Spencer Petras. You know, and I just, I don't like that thinking, you know, throwing a guy in there too soon is how you wreck him. You know, I, I think a guy's like, you know, Johnny Manziel, of course, you know, he's another one that was fucking sniffing blow off of, you know, toilet bowls <laughs> and whatnot in Cleveland partying, but you know, I, I think of guys like him that get thrown in their rookie year in the NFL and, you know, essentially just derails their career right away. So I, I never liked that idea. I like, you know, how Iowa does in the developmental process, you know, letting those guys sit behind the guys that have been around a while and, you know, learning from them. And then, you know, if a guy like Deuce Hogan comes in next year and he's the next man up, great. You know, he's got a year, 
you know, under his belt and whatnot. But again, I don't really see that help happening with, you know, Spencer being, you know, the supposed practice all-star that he is and, you know, kind of getting over his case of the freshman yips or, I mean, he's a sophomore. So the, you know, first year starter yips. So, so again, you know, overall my thought process there, you know, no need to throw somebody in there before they're ready. And, and I know, Bo, what you're saying, because that's exactly what Scott Frost said, you know, Luke McCaffrey's the future of the program, but, you know, again, why, why ruin him? You know, when you got a serviceable quarterback in Adrian Martinez. So I want to I want to up you one more. So he actually started the week before and played uh, service or two weeks before and played actually pretty well. Um, I can't I can't tell you if they won or lost. I think they actually no sorry they lost they beat Penn State when he started. So he had a high. He uh, played played against Illinois, who we have to play this week, and they obviously lost very bad. And then uh, and and they brought in Martinez, but at the same time he's a redshirt he's a redshirt freshman, so he's already got two years in the program. Whereas Deuce coming in a little early, you know, doesn't really have the offense down. So I wouldn't necessarily say that he was feeding him to the wolves, although he is the future of the program. I, I just think they needed more game experience. And I think that's the mentality behind having him play. Oh, absolutely. I'll agree with that. Makes sense guys. Uh, so speaking of, you know, our quarterbacks here uh, looking across the way, I mean, we talked about Nebraska's quarterbacks and their play and how, I, I don't know how long Scott Frost is going to have a run there. Blaine seems to think he's going to have a, a pretty long run, but Luke McCaffrey did run the ball really well um, against us, which was, you know, five, five carries for 42 yards, eight and a half yards of carry. But it seemed like every time the pocket collapsed, he was able to extend for extend the drive with a first down, things like that, where I just didn't see Spencer doing that as much. I just love to see him like be able to somehow like he threw a pick and it was just like, throw the ball away. You know what I mean? There's just some, still some decisions that I just don't understand really. You know, oh, yeah. I mean? you know and, and I, again, I think that's just the first year starter. Yips, you know, I'm, you know, I, I've been on his bandwagon for a while. It seems like, and I'm sure some listeners get annoyed by that, but you know, if, if he's the best you got, he's the best you got. I hate to say that, but you know, you look at everybody's like, oh, well, throw in Alex Padilla, see what he's got. He's got, you know, less than two years in the program. And then you're looking at Deuce Hogan, who's got six months in the program. Like, relax. Yeah. And here's the biggest stat, too, is we're winning ball games, right? Like, you look at the first two games, wish we had him back. I get it. I wish there's better quarterback play. I think we all wish there's better quarterback play, but at the same time, the biggest stat is that we're winning ball games. And I think all listeners need to know, like, hey, as much as we trash on Petrus from time to time, he's winning ball games. We're getting it done on the ground. We're managing, you know, deep balls and, and passes our passing game. We're okay. He's going to exactly. learn. He's still young. Exactly. Could he do better? No one's going to disagree with you there. Obviously, he can do better. But, you know, to say to throw in a freshman and ruin him because your redshirt sophomore isn't doing worth a shit, that's dumb. That's just a we, dumb thinking. I, Iowa has the opportunity to win out and go to a good bowl and potentially win the bowl. We can end up only losing two games this year that, you know, looking back hindsight, we'll say, well, what if, what if, but at the same time, I mean, you know, you only, you only lose two, three games a season and just say we end up with, you know, six, seven wins this year. I mean, that's in my opinion, seven and three is a lot better than, you know, four and four or whatever, five and five, whatever the math is, you know what I'm saying? 
Yeah. Oh, absolutely. You know, you look after those first two games, this team could have very easily folded. You know, guys like Amir Smith, Marset, Brandon Smith, and all them, you know, could have pulled a Rashad Bateman and just said, yep, hey, this was fun, but I'm going to get ready for the draft now. And, you know, I think that just goes to show you, you know, the culture. And don't ask Rob Howe about this because I'm sure he'd disagree. But, you know, the culture they got in Iowa City is obviously a pretty good one if these guys want to stick around. So, for sure. I think that goes to say stuff, stuff about coaching, too. 100% they believe in the coaches. They believe in what what's being taught. They believe in what's being said and what's what's going to get them to the next level. 100%. Right. Love it. Well, to wrap this game up, guys, um, I really think that the really make it or break it situation came down in the fourth quarter, I think, when we went for it on fourth down. Got yeah. it. Ended up scoring a touchdown there. That kind of solidified ourselves in the game. Then we came back. We stopped them on successful drives. We came down and hit a couple field goals. You mentioned Keith Duncan missed a field goal to make it 29-20, which still would have hit the under, by the way, um, mm-hmm. and would have sealed the game. Obviously, that didn't happen, um, and they had a chance at the end there to do it, but obviously our defense stepped up. Um, I want to talk about play calling. We, we did mention that we stuck to the uh, game plan. Uh, our passing attempts, we, we passed the ball 30 times. We ran the ball 45 times. We gave the ball to Tyler Goodson 30 times for 111 yards, which is good to see. I think that he needs to have that consistency. As much as I thought we could have gave the ball to Makai Sargent a little bit more. What do you guys think of that? Yeah, let me ask you guys this. It looked like in the second quarter he came up with like a leg or an ankle or something injury, just gingerly came off the field. I think we are in the red zone, um, but – did you guys see anything that may have halted his play? Because we really didn't see him after that second quarter. No, you know, uh, I don't remember a specific injury, but Dill, do you know anything about it? You know, I, I guess I haven't heard anything specific either. I think, you know, for the most part, just tweaked it up a little bit. And then, you know, I, I think, you know, Tyler Goodson's probably a level ahead of him just yet. And so, you know, if Makai Sargent's not 100%, no reason to throw him in there if, goods ready to go so well that, that was my thought process because I, I know what you're thinking about too Bo and uh, sorry oh I thought that was me I was gonna say what the hell did I do no, um, sometimes those videos just start playing on their own <laughs> oh yeah I gotcha um but yeah I mean you know again what a would have loved to have him contribute and obviously he did he ran for a touchdown just you know only ran for five carries and 18 yards but I mean the, the dude's a stud but Bottom line, he's the change of pace guy, too. So, you know, again, you'd like to see him in that 10 to 12 to 15 carry range. But I don't know. What are you going to do? It worked. Yep. It worked. And you can – the the it worked. You can tell in the score. And then time possession, guys, we, we possessed about 34 minutes, 24 seconds uh, to Nebraska's 25 minutes, 36 seconds. Yeah, and, that, and that's just imperative there, Rob. You know, I know we'll get into some of my keys to victory from last week, but, yeah, I, that's a key to victory every week with Iowa football is you got to hold on to the ball. You got to keep it out of the offense's hands, obviously. And it, it sounds so obvious, but, um, you know, it's especially important with a pro-style offense like the way the Hawkeyes run in. Their main goal is to control the clock. So, uh, you know, big reason why they ended up pulling out the win. Absolutely. Well, um, as far as any other closing thoughts, I think we can just move straight into our good vibes and bad vibes. Um, 
coming out of this rivalry game. The Hawkeyes take the Heroes trophy for the sixth straight year, stays in Iowa City. Um, and I'll go ahead and kick us off with some good vibes, guys. Um, I thought that this is a this is our first game that we really thought saw some excuse me, we really saw some adversity. Um, seemed like the, the last few wins that we've we've notched on our belt, we've pretty much controlled the game. Um, and this game reminded me, just like we had mentioned, of Northwestern against Purdue. I think just the ability to, to go up against that situation when we're down after halftime by a touchdown and just not abandon the run, stick to the game plan. And I think that comes with just the veteran coaching. So I would say good vibes goes to the coaching staff here. I think this is a well-coached game. Only two penalties for Iowa, too, which was uh, really nice to see. Um, the other bad vibe, I would say, is that um, – it just didn't look like Spencer was super accurate on his throws. There was a lot of incomplete second down throws that I saw that kind of put us into a hard third and long situation. Um, and I just wish that there was a play. I think he threw to Nico Reganey, I think. And he threw a pass to Sean Byer who, and Sean Byer made an excellent catch. But I mean, there's a few throws where I was just like, Either Nico's got to dive and fully lay out to get that pass, or it's like put a little bit better touch on the ball. <laughs> like, I don't understand. I mean, there's we, we get into a play calling situation where I feel like we have a perfect play action dialed up, and it works. Like, he's open, and we just miss him. So that's my bad vibe. I think if we start hitting on those strikes, I think we have a chance to beat some decent teams. I think we're kind of a sleeper team right now in the big 10. Sorry. That's kind of a long rambling story, but what do you think, Bo? What's your good vibes? And bad yeah, vibes? dude, you know what? I'll start out with bad vibes. I'm going to echo you too. I, to be honest, I I'm on the Spencer Peters bandwagon fan too, but at the same time, like I, I think we are average quarterback away from, from being an elite team. Um, to be honest, all, all he has to do is play average. And I think that he's missing a ton of, ton of throws where I think he, he definitely can can get a lot better. Um, but at the same time, I guess we'll, we'll just see, it's just going to be about the progression, but, um, he missed, he missed Nico just a little bit in the back of the end zone, which I think would have been huge for us. Um, and, and still just kind of has some happy feet in the, in the, in, you know, in the pocket. So again, growing pains, but I think that that's something that we can fix. So that's my bad vibe too. Good vibe. Uh, we've talked a lot about this defense and how good this defense is. Um, I know we've kind of outlined this before, Dill. I may be stealing your good vibe from maybe a week or two ago, but Jack Campbell is the real fucking deal, fellas. Like I'm saying it. No one's been listening, but I've been saying it. Go dude, on. Dude, he is that, so dude. good. And here's the deal is he had eight tackles, six solos, two tackles for losses last week. And he did this as the second teamer or the second starter behind uh Seth Benson. So nothing to discredit Seth Benson. This should be Campbell's spot if he didn't have mono. The dude is playing unreal. And after listening to uh, Kirk Ferentz's presser the other week, he compared him to uh, to Chad Greenway. Like, are you fucking kidding me? Is he that good? I definitely think that he has the potential to be that good. Like, I am jacked up after hearing that. I was, I was going to say, Bo, I did hear Kirk say after he said that, he immediately said, you know, not trying to put any unwanted expectations on Jack by any means. Yeah. You no, know, they have some similar similar traits, and uh, I've also heard Phil Parker compare him to Josie Jewell and the fact that 
you know, he's just the nicest kid in the world. Then, you know, you get him in a helmet and put him out in between the lines and he's just a whole different animal. So, you know, uh, and Kirk said in his presser, what, what really impressed me too, Kirk said in his presser, he said the story about Chad Greenway is like, we were playing a football game. I think it was like Oh four or Oh five. And, and uh, Chad was on his recruiting visit and I was an, I was at halftime, you know, saying this speech and you could see, I, I believe it was at halftime or maybe at the end of the game. Anyway, Chad was in the background, like intensely listening to everything he said was just getting jacked up. And he's like, he had the most energy of anybody in the room, just listening to me speak. And he's like, I just feel that energy with, with, uh, with Jack Campbell. And that to me as a fan, it just gets me jacked up. Like, Hey, this guy truly cares. He understands Iowa football and he's a leader. So, and then a little uh, side note, side plug, uh, just saw here that the Iowa Hawkeye basketball team has picked up another win officially. Uh, they have beat the Western Illinois Leathernecks 99 to 58. So Dope. little little 41 point win for the Hawkeye basketball team that, you know, I think we can all agree is in potentially the national title conversation this year. So, yeah. Very cool, very cool. I figured well, I'd just throw that plug in since we're a Hawkeye podcast. But. Hey, appreciate it, Dale. Hey, past you. Let's hear your good vibe, bad vibe. Yeah, yeah. So my good vibe, guys, I just got to go with. I'm giving helmet stickers to everyone, all 11 guys on that Iowa Hawkeye defense. And, you know, the couple reserve linebackers that have played a shit ton and uh, as well as, you know, everyone on that D-line and all the guys rotating in there as well. Everyone's getting helmet stickers you know, not giving up more than 24 points all, you know, all year long. And as Rob pointed out earlier for 13 games straight, that's just incredible playing in the conference, like the big 10, you know, I know you're probably going to have the opportunity to do that more versus, you know, say if you played in the big 12 or something like that, where the, you know, it's a little bit higher scoring, you know, pass heavy offenses and offenses and whatnot, but, you know, Iowa faces their share of spread teams and, you know, it just goes to show you the, work that Phil Parker and that defense is doing. And yeah, literally guys like Jack Campbell, Chauncey Golston, uh, Matt Hankins, just absolutely killing it this year. And uh, I, I don't know why we're surprised. You know, I really, I really don't just, I didn't, I figured we lost a few too many pieces last year and they're just killing it. So they're giving me the warm and fuzzies. I love it. My bad vibe. Iowa officially with the cancellation of the Minnesota Northwestern game. Was it Minnesota Northwestern, right? I no, think. it was no. What's that? No. Minnesota Northwestern gonna play this weekend? All right, was whoever it? Northwestern was gonna play this weekend. Officially got canceled for COVID. So you can so double check means, me out there. Bo, so that means but, Northwestern can't lose it. Correct. Northwestern. Yeah. Yeah. You're right. I think, yeah. Northwestern has pretty much clinched the big 10 West. So, uh, Oh, I mean, unless Wisconsin can somehow sneak in there, I'm not really sure how that works, but, uh, nonetheless, I was officially ruled out. So, you know, my bad vibe would be, this would be a very, very easy time for this team to fold, you know, and end the season on a couple losses going four and four. And, you know, as Bo alluded to earlier, loaded to earlier six and two sounds a hell of a lot better than four and four does it not um and especially with going into next year you know in our opinion us fans you know obviously it seems like this team has a lot to play for but you know i, I just hope the players are on the same same board and same wavelength and uh that we finish this team season strong six and two 
you know, go in, kick some ass in the East-West game and, you know, make a pretty good bowl game. So, you know, that's a tremendous take. And honestly, that's a great segue into our mailbag segment. And Rob, I really want to know your take on this because, Dill, I, I think your take was uh, was really good. I'll point out that our buddy Austin, our listener Austin from Walk On also asked this question. But, but you know, what do you think? Is Iowa going to fold right away knowing that they're not – they don't have a chance to be the Big Ten champions this year? Um, I would say no. I would say they – they could have easily done that before um, this point in the, in the, excuse me, in the season. I just think that the way that these guys are coached, the old school regime that we have, the pride that they, that they harp, you know, in the locker room and things like that for these Hawkeyes. I just think it doesn't seem like a very Iowa thing to do for them to just like throw it all away. I know it's, I don't know. It's, I, I couldn't see that happening, but I don't know. Stranger things have happened, you know. Yeah, I, mean? I I think it's going to be really like heavily re- relied upon by the coaches to really get them up and really get them going. But I think the senior leadership there is has got to be something that we got to look at too. What's really disappointing too is that we look at Northwestern's going to play likely Indiana, knowing that Ohio State doesn't have the eligibility to play in the Big Ten title game, and Indiana last week. Their starting quarterback, Michael Penix Jr., just went down with an ACL injury. So, essentially, you're looking at this as, damn, if Iowa played in the Big Ten title game, they're probably undefeated. They'll probably beat the shit out of Indiana, and they'll likely get into a BCS bowl game, you know, the, the playoff game, right? Likely if we're undefeated. But well, now now we look at if we win out, we'll probably play Ohio State in the crossover game, which would be probably – your essentially your, your big 10 title game. See, that, that, that's kind of my thought process too, is that would be essentially the, you know, makeshift big 10 title game where, you know, I, I wouldn't mind seeing Northwestern and Ohio state go at it, but I don't know. I just think Iowa would have a better shot. I think, you know, don't get me wrong. Northwestern has the bragging rights. They got the W. I just think if they played again today, I don't know that the outcome would end up the same. Yeah, I think I think you and me and I, well, I think all three of us are in the same same boat as that. I think that we all think that Purdue was a bad loss, but I also think that Nebraska or uh, Northwestern wasn't a great loss either. No, 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 they're and that's the thing. They're a stout team defensively. You know, Patty Gallagher on that squad. We've been talking about him for a couple of years on this podcast. Now he's a pain in Iowa's ass. He's a stud. Seems like every time he plays Iowa, he's got fifteen tackles. So yeah, so the dude's a player. But I'm going to answer my own bad vibe. Because I don't think the Hawks are thrown away this season. I don't think, you know, just the way you get it or the sense you get from hearing the guys talk, the guys like Tyler Goodson, the guys Spencer Petras, you know, the guys on the defensive side of the ball as well, Tyler Linderbaum. It's, you know, you control what you can control. And the fact of the matter is Iowa is one of the few Big Ten teams that this weekend they get to go out and play football. You know, and that's what we got to remember at the end of the day. This is a game that these kids love to play. And, you know, it's just so happen, happening to give them a free college education as well. So um, I, I think the boys finish out the season strong, not saying they won't slip up somewhere, but you know, I, it won't be for a lack of effort. I can say that. For sure. For sure. No, I like that too. Well, I think that's a great segue. You talk about some of the senior leaders on the team. Um, I think we talk about the offensive line a ton here because we all love Iowa offensive linemen. 
Um, another great question come from our buddy Jake from Mount Vernon. Um, and he asked, does Hawkeyes and Tallboys think that uh, Tyler Linderbaum is going to the league after this year? Do we think that he's going to come back or do we think that, hey, he's going to take that He's going to take that step and go straight to the league after this year. Um, Rob, I'm going to pass to you right away. What, what do you think about this? Tyler Linderbaum. I think that um, – so there's an article that I was looking at from The Athletic. Shout out to The Athletic. They have some – Scott Dockerman and those guys, they really do a good job of covering uh, the Iowa football and the topics there. One of them uh, said how Tyler Linderbaum went from D-lineman to the nation's top center. So they're telling – they're saying he's the best center in college football right now. Um, I think that as a center, I think you would want more snaps. I think that, you know, he would want to stay around and, uh, and continue to show like his abilities, because I feel like, I mean, correct me if I'm wrong. I mean, you know, centers can get injured, but I don't think it's, I think it's kind of rare. I think that uh, like, if you look at all the different centers, that have done super well in the NFL. Like I haven't really, I don't think of them getting injured very often. And I feel like that it's like having, having like a good, like quarterback sort of, of the, of the off offensive line, I guess, you know, being able to call the huddle and, and point out like the coverages and the middle linebacker, usually what they call out. Unless you're from Nebraska. <laughs> What do they do? That oh yeah, oh yeah. <laughs> Never mind. We didn't even cover that. They switched centers. They switched. They switched centers just as often as they switched QBs. Honestly, it was just about that often. <laughs> I um, I'm I'm saying that Tyler Litterbaum sticks around for another season because this is a throwaway year. Yeah, and, and I'm a, I'm gonna agree with you there, Rob, and especially because you know he's a redshirt sophomore. Um, and my thought process there is, you know, those guys from Solon typically, you know, for the most part, smart kids, I think they want to get their degrees, you know, and then go on to hopefully have a career in the league. You know, you saw that with guys like James Morris, who could have potentially left early, uh, you know, a few, a few others as well. So, you know, that's my thought process. And just personally thinking about it, you know, self-proclaimed best center in the NBC in the year of 2011. So, I was a center, so I kind of know what Tyler Linderbaum's going through, learning the position. And, you know, it's a big part of it, Rob, you said, is just, you know, snaps, really. And not like figurative snap or literal snaps, but more figurative, like, you know, just that in-game experience of playing on the offensive line and learning all you can from Brian Ferentz and Kirk Ferentz and, you know, those offensive line gurus, Tim Polisek's another one, they're at the University of Iowa. So I think, you know, I, I think it would benefit him greatly come back for one more year. However, I'm going to almost guarantee he's gone after next season. Yeah. I think one big thing too, is he just needs to get stronger. Um, I think we saw there in the Nebraska game, I think they had a nose tackle that probably outweighed um, uh, Aaron Donald who plays for the Rams right now. And just thinking about thinking about Lindermont playing the NFL against that guy, it's like, man, would love to see him just get a little bit better base, a little bit more, more strength before going to the NFL. And I think he's going to do really well, but at the same time, it's just like, like you said, needs more repetition, needs more snaps, needs more playing time uh, before he gets to the NFL level. And that that Damian Daniels, and for those of you that are Nebraska football fans might know, I I want to say, and Blaine could correct me if I'm wrong on this, I want to say it's the younger brother of Darian Daniels. So 
uh, another Nebraska standout from a few years back. So uh, them boys, big boys, uh, hell of football players. And um, yeah, not, nothing to be ashamed about there. Tyler Linderbaum, I never saw his head go down despite getting beat a couple times, but I agree with you, Bo. I think he does need to get a little bit stronger. Quick stat on, um, on Tyler Linderbaum. Pro Football Focus has graded Linderbaum as the nation's top center and uh, the best pass blocker in the Big Ten who hasn't allowed pressure in his last 252 pass blocking snaps. Pretty impressive. Nuts. Um, so they're saying that he's trending towards becoming like a top 50 prospect. I don't know. Like he probably knows he's eventually going to go to the NFL. But I think I still think he's I mean, as a redshirt sophomore, like he's still got some a lot of time to go. Like, you, and and that stat too. You said Rob, like the dude never holds. He never gets called for a holding penalty either. Like the dude's always just would, fist fighting, bro. pushing, whatever. What? I said, knock on wood. Goodness. <laughs> but you think about it though. Just think about the last couple of years. Like you, you, you never hear about him getting flagged or penalized. You know. Obviously, I would say likely that the tackles position is probably the, the most difficult with the ends being a lot quicker than your D tackles. But at the same time, like if you have somebody's bull rushing you, you're probably going to bring them down with you. And you never hear about that with Tyler Linderbaum. Like it's all about technique. And I think he's got the right technique and obviously the, the right tenacity when he's when he got the helmet on. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. Well, uh, I have a couple mailbag questions that we can get to. And since we um, we talked about the center I we need to kind of cycle it back and not to really harp too much on Spencer Petrus but we do have some questions involving that so um this is interesting so here's a question that was presented to Scott Docterman here and I, I think that it's a decent one that we can talk about during they do like a little Q&A session every every week but Justin G would like to know what exactly does Ken O'Keefe bring to the table on this staff from what I can tell, he can't develop quarterbacks and he can't recruit any stud QBs that don't need a ton of development either. Is he just on the staff because he's Kirk Ferentz's buddy? Oh, Jesus Christ. Jeff G., if you are listening to this podcast, sign off right now. I do not want you to be listening to even somewhat sound Hawkeye minds. That is an incredibly horrible, horrible take. Um, now, Ken O'Keefe took a lot of criticism his first, you know, first time around with the Iowa Hawkeyes as an offensive coordinator. And to be frank, you know, you could say it was well-deserved. Um, you know, we could argue about that all day long too, I suppose. But to say he's not a good identifier of quarterback talent is just incredibly stupid. Like, that is just such a horrible take. You know, one of the first quarterbacks he recruited in Iowa was Spencer Petra. So, obviously, you know, there's going to be a little bit of love, a little bit of favoritism there. But the dude broke every single one of Jared Goff's records in high school and the fact that you got him in Iowa City – you know, you're telling me that's not a phenomenal recruiting effort, getting a four-star quarterback from California to come to fucking Iowa City. Moronic. And then after that, we look at Alex Padilla, you know, Mr. P Mr. Football in the state of Colorado. You know, another guy who flew somewhat under the radar as a three-star quarterback, but a dual threat nonetheless, which, you know, typical armchair quarterbacks like this Jeff G moron typically – want nothing but, you know, they think Iowa needs to go dual threat quarterback to have any success. Uh, again, incredibly moronic. Let me just point that out if I haven't said that already about this, Jeff G. And then the fact that we pull Deuce Hogan last year out of Texas, you're telling me this guy can't fucking recruit? Give me a break. 
What a horrible, horrible take. This guy's a fucking asset, and I would love to hear what Mark Morehouse had to say about him. Jeff G, I find me on Twitter, and I will tell you off all day long. I swear to God, you – what an imbecile. Justin G. Justin. I, I am offended that this guy is a fan of the Iowa Hawkeyes, personally. If you guys disagree with me, feel free, but you're wrong. <laughs> I thought we would go straight to Dill. Oh, dude, to be honest, too. Recruitment. But go ahead. Bill. So he also didn't uh, didn't O'Keefe also recruit Zach Wilson, who's the starting quarterback at BYU too. I'm pretty yes. sure it was between him and Petrus that he was going to uh, give an offer to, and he decided to go with Petrus. Now, right now, Wilson had a year starting last year, so he's looking really good here. But you know what happens next year? Petrus balls out like you know Wilson's doing right now at BYU. So we'll see what happens. Exactly, and, and I, I remember that exact recruiting situation. It was very simple. It's you know, first one to commit gets the scholarship. Like they, they both wanted to come to Iowa. Uh, Wilson couldn't come to the following weekend. So then Petrus came the weekend before. It was like, yeah, I want to be a Hawkeye. Bam. It's done. Like, sorry, you know, those guys were equal on the recruiting board and that's how it goes. So, yep. yeah. And Zach Wilson playing in the, what, the Mountain West Valley, whatever the hell they call themselves. Like, you know, not dogging on him by any means because he's had, you know, a phenomenal – uh, quarterback and career with BYU, but seriously, horrible take. This guy is such a moron. Um, and I actually have an account with the athletics, so I might give this guy a piece of my mind after the, <laughs> like, I, I'm horrified. What did Morehouse say to him? So, or Dr. Man, I mean, so they he didn't respond, but uh, um, oh, figure, Jesus, there was uh, a guy who, who responded originally. I believe he was brought on to mentor Brian on play calling, Ken O'Keefe. And then he responded, Justin G. I think that just raises even more questions for me. Ha <laughs> ha. Oh my God, Justin but, G. So moving on, um, similar though. So because of, you know, obviously Padilla not really getting much playing time and Spencer Peaches kind of there, agree or disagree, Padilla will transfer after the season. Uh, Coach team said on Petrus uh, and in today's transfer portal world we live in. Padilla won't want to sit around for two, three years as a backup. That I can was a see question it. by Mason D. Yeah, dude, I can see it. He'll be like, uh, who's the kid that went to Abilene Christian? Peyton Mansell. Mansell. I bet he'll be just like Mansell. But honestly, I bet he goes to a D1AA, like a UNI, Indiana State, you know, the Valley, Valley Conference, basically. I, I can see him transferring to something like that. I disagree. I, I don't think he's going to leave just just yet. Now, I think if Deuce Hogan comes in and takes over the backup role next year, then obviously, you know, then the, the writing's on the wall there. But, uh, you know, Alex Padilla's a competitive guy. All the guys out there, you know, in the locker room say nothing but great things about him. And, you know, they feel relatively confident in him that if Spencer were to go down, that he could come in and get the job done. So, you know, I, I'm not even saying that it's a guarantee that Deuce Hogan's going to be a backup quarterback next year. So, yeah, I, I don't see that happening until after spring ball at the earliest. So, one last question for you guys um, before we move on. Um, so, is the QB position that hard to learn at Iowa versus other programs, writes this person, Mason? If so, what makes it that way? Seems like several formal former Iowa QBs who have transferred out, went on to have nice careers and picked up decent stats with other programs. 
This is season number three for Petrus. Why is he at the bottom of the Big Ten in completion percentage? Is it the talent? QB coaching, question mark. I think we already covered that a little bit. But uh, that Justin G responded on this one. Of course um, he did. What did the moron say? I bet it's a combination of talent, lack of development, and the style of football and philosophy that Ken, uh, Kirk Ferentz and Brian Ferentz well, require QBs to be nearly perfect to be effective. I've asked it before, but I don't understand why we emphasize a running game so much, but we never have a QB that can run. We've had success with mobile quarterbacks in the past, but we've seen to recruit solely pocket passers in the last decade or so. See, oh, did I call that before I called that? So he, he, he's one of those morons that is just obsessed with the dual quarterback, which, you know, that, that is what it is, whatever. But, oh, my God, again, this that his takes are just so, so horrible. I forgot the original question. So it's basically, you know, is the quarterback position that hard at Iowa? Oh. Yep. And absolutely, yes, it is. It's a pro-style offense. Um, you know, if you guys were to see the playbook in person, you know, it's one of those, like, think of your old college textbooks that are 600 pages that you would never read. That's an Iowa playbook. And if you want to ever play – you have to read. So uh, it, it is that difficult. You know, they require a lot, uh, not so much at the beginning of the career, like Spencer Petrus, but if you ever like talk to a guy like Nate Stanley and how much he knew, uh, he never, may not have had the best career necessarily as an Iowa Hawkeye where he was pretty serviceable, but he just knew so much. The kid was outrageously smart where he could pick up, you know, all those little nuances that the defenses were throwing at him and, um, you know, the decision-making ability that, you know, Phil Parker – or Phil Parker, I'm sorry, uh, Brian Ferentz and Ken O'Keefe give these quarterbacks uh, is, you know, nothing short of what guys like Tom Brady, you know, Peyton Manning, uh, Aaron Rodgers, those guys get at the line of scrimmage as well where, you know, the ability to change plays on that. So, um, absolutely, it is that hard of a position to learn at the University of Iowa. No true freshman is going to come in and ever play ball for the Iowa Hawkeyes. It's just not going to happen. And if you want to argue Brad Banks with me, go ahead. He had a year in the system to learn. Interesting. That's what mm -hmm. I was thinking of when he was talking about a mobile dual threat quarterback. I was like, Brad Banks was that guy. Yeah, yeah, that, that, that's who he, that's who he's talking about right there. But Brad but Banks Drew was Tate, also, honestly, also yeah, yeah. Well, C.J. Oh, Beathard. Yeah, Beathard was, was able to move too. Yeah, he, but Beathard wasn't classified as dual threat, but he could make plays with his feet. Yeah. Um, yeah. What what this moron Justin G is asking for is he he essentially wants another Brad Banks where you know they they found him out of some no name JUCO like okay yeah that's gonna happen once every twenty years like it has happened so God this guy's an idiot sounds to me like he's wanting he's wanting Deuce Hogan to start tomorrow exactly like, <laughs> yeah and then he's gonna be the same moron. You know, that when Deuce Hogan throws two picks because, you know, he can't read a Big Ten defense yet, he's going to be like, ah, yep. I, I knew it all along. The coaches threw him in there too early. It's their fault. They didn't develop him in two months. Idiot. Well, that pretty much wraps up our mailbag, guys. I know we had a lot of cure quarterback-centered questions, but that is, like, one of the big questions of the team right now. Just kind of, like, maybe an area that draws a lot of interest from uh, – from our listeners and 
and other Hawkeye fans that are out there. And I just heard somebody crack a beer, so I'm going to crack another one before we get oh. into the next segment, which is, guys, we got a game tomorrow. We got to remember, there's a football Saturday. game. Saturday. Oh, is it not? Yeah, never mind. On Saturday. Um, and so I was going to toss it over to Bo if you want to take us into our preview. Yes, sir. Thanks, Rob. So we got Illinois on Saturday. So the number 19 Iowa Hawkeyes, folks, get used to it. We're going to stay in that top 20, top 25 category, hopefully top 15 by the end of the year. We play Illinois, who's two and three. Kickoff is set for 2.30. It's on FS1 if you guys are watching. Uh, so it'll be a late kick so you guys can get your shit done in the morning, drink some more beers, maybe even get blacked out before the game. Uh, hope you do because I might do that myself. Um, should be a pretty nice day in, uh, in Champaign, Illinois, 42 degrees, a little sunny, a little bit of wind. We'll see what happens. Hopefully not enough, but the big thing here is the over-unders at 51. I was essentially a two touchdown favorite right now. They're 83% favorites to win on this game, um, up uh, on ESPN. But, um, last week we're essentially 14 point favorites or two touchdown favorites against uh, Nebraska, we obviously did not uh, did not cover that, um, and we were obviously on the under there. So some pretty good stats against Iowa here. Um, just to kind of start my own little preview here, Illinois has been pretty consistent, and the unfortunate part about it about that is just with COVID, they haven't had enough games. They had a couple cancellations, and really they haven't had a chance to get their offense or their really team going. But they won the last two of uh, two of their games, Nebraska and Rutgers. And they have outscored opponents 214 to 60 in the last two games. Like they've, they've been putting up some fucking numbers. I'm sorry. Sorry. That is not, that is incorrect. They have been, they, they put up some serious numbers the last two games, not 214. Sorry. No, um, but, uh, but they've looked pretty good. They've lost to Minnesota, Purdue, Wisconsin, but they've looked pretty good the last couple of games. And they had a bye week because Ohio State had COVID last week. So they've had two weeks to prepare for Iowa. Look for this game to be a pretty good game. I think uh, something that Illinois probably was watching that we need to figure out, and this maybe leads into Dill's keys to the game. I don't want to get ahead of ourselves, but I think just watching the way Nebraska played our team in the first half would probably be a good place to start as far as game planning for this uh, Hawkeye team. But Dill, what do you what do you what do you think of the game this, this Saturday? Yep. So what I'm thinking, fellas, so this Illinois team, just looking at their record a little bit this year, I think the best way to describe them so far to this point has been inconsistent where, you know, they, they beat Rutgers 23 to 20, you know, piss pounded Nebraska 41 to 23, but then their losses are what stick out to me, you know, losing Wisconsin, understandable Wisconsin's a good football team, but in the manner that they lost seven to 45, um, and then lost to Purdue as well, close, tight game, 24 to 31. And then Minnesota versus Minnesota, they lost 14 to 41. And, you know, and I know Bo touched on it a little bit that they got hit with the COVID bugs. So that's probably, you know, been part of it as well. Um, but yeah, you just don't know what team you're going to face this week. And, you know, I think as far as, you know, the coaches are concerned, you know, we're, we're facing that team that, you know, essentially beat the team we just skated by, you know, by what, 18 points at Memorial stadium. So, you know, Illinois is going to come out guns blazing and they're another team that, you know, haven't lost or haven't beat Iowa in quite some time. And 
you know, they're going to come to play. Uh, Brandon Peters, I know, has been, you know, having a heck of a year thus far. Um, yeah, God, I just, you know, it's, it's one of those games that makes you nervous, I guess. Rob, Rob, what are you thinking? You're from Illinois. Yep. So, guys, may I remind you that the last time we played Iowa or we played Illinois in Champaign, the Hawks won 63 nothing. We almost put a 70 banger on them. So mm-hmm. now that's a completely, that was in 2018. We're looking at different teams, different defenses, but I do think that our defense is elite uh, as, as, as the stats can seem to indicate. And, uh, and this Illinois team is pretty much a question mark. They lost to Minnesota with the, who has the worst defense in the big 10 uh, and they got blown out. Now, I don't know. Is that because, you know, Minnesota is just that good? No. Is, is it because maybe Illinois didn't had a bunch of players out for COVID? That maybe, but like, how good are those players? Who, who did play? Who didn't play? I guess those are some key questions that I would want to know. But um, they have guys who can make plays just like anybody can. But I think, I honestly think that they're similar to like a Purdue where they like to pass the ball around. They like to run a lot of run and gun. Um, in the past, they've had like dual threat quarterbacks, which I think could could sometimes give us some, give us a little bit of trouble. But um, I don't know. I just, we leaned on our defense so much this year. I think that I'd be hard pressed to say that Illinois scores more than 20 points. I like that take. And to be honest, so you said that Minnesota has the worst defense. Illinois has the second worst defense in the Big Ten. They're giving up like 450 yards a game and and 32 (laughs) points per game. So that's like awful. And not only that, I love the comparison to Purdue because their defense is bad. Purdue's defense isn't great, but they're not, you know, they're they're bad. Um, But their offense, like you said, they're so explosive. They have two good running backs and a pretty good receiver. And Brandon Peters has actually played pretty well against Iowa the last I believe he's played at least one, if not two games against Iowa, and he's actually played pretty well. Wow. Well, um, as far as that goes, I mean, I was just looking at the total yards per game that they put up um, as far as Big Ten. On their offensive side, they do – they throw – well, it looks like they, they're about 381 yards a game. Uh, Illinois is as compared to Iowa, which is 364, which isn't that great. But I, I don't. I don't see them getting anywhere close to that on Saturday. So I, I think that's really going to help us help carry us. Um, as far as the the guys that are on their squad that that make plays, um, actually, I'm just pulling up their roster right now. But I know that they're uh, they seem to be the the, the here we go. Josh Imator Bibi or Behebi. He's the he's the yeah. He's he's really good, and they have a history of churning out good receivers uh, out of Illinois. So mm-hmm. he's I feel like just the next man in line when it comes to those uh, those comparisons. He has uh, looks like two touchdowns on the on the year. I guess his stats aren't that impressive, but he's kind of like a Brandon Smith, who's a who's a big target, six two two twenty. On the outside. 
What do you guys think about uh, this Illinois offense and uh, if what they're able to do with the ball? I mean, P- Peters is a hell of a quarterback. That's the thing. You know, he returned just a few weeks back before, you know, COVID hit. But, you know, he, he's going to be a pain. He, he's going to be a pain. Uh, he can read the defense well and, you know, ha- has the experience to do so. And uh, that Imatorba Hebe, however the hell you pronounce it, uh, <laughs> he's been a monster this year. You know, he's, he's putting up some crazy, crazy numbers. I think specifically what, you know, uh, so far in the last few games alone, you know, 15 receptions, 215 yards and a couple touchdowns and, uh, you know, got a tight end as well. So uh, they, they got some, you know, good receivers. Uh, as far as the running backs, I don't know too, too much about them. You know, looking at Chase Brown and Mike Epstein, um, you know, right now rank, they rank a little back as far as the Big Ten uh, running backs go at 9 and 10. But, you know, Nonetheless, they still have the second best rushing offense in the Big Ten at 22 or 222.4 yards per game, according to Athlon Sports. So, um, yeah, I, I think to... we're going to be the toughest team they've played, Harris they Peters. played this year. Oh, with the exception of Ohio State, of course. But. but at the same time, though, like I think our run defense has been pretty stellar so far I think the worst part about I guess our defense if you even say a worst part about it's just the pass game I think our past defense has been not necessarily suspect but I think it's it's something that you know we've addressed multiple times on on the podcast but you know they've been running you know quite a bit of quite a bit of run game but our rush defense has been pretty unreal um and to be honest it's been like that the last 10 years under phil uh, 10 plus years under phil parker so i feel pretty confident slowing down their run i think the biggest thing we got to worry about is their receiving game and if brandon peters gets outside the pocket i think we just got to be really ready for that and and passes down the field yeah i was just looking at the stats i'm like man like i know that they have like good players i was looking at these stats but then i thought oh yeah we got to keep in mind these guys didn't play. They haven't played the schedule that we have. They haven't played all the games that we have. So it's like, yeah. man, their lead receiver only has 15 receptions in the year for like 250 yards. I was like, right. big whoop. You know what I mean? But then I'm like, oh, yeah, they've only played five games. He probably didn't even play half of them. Mm-hmm. Well, I, I want to give them some credit, though. So the weeks that Wisconsin canceled, they Illinois had more COVID cases than Wisconsin and still played both of those weeks. So I want to give Illinois some credit. Really appreciate those guys sticking through and wanting to play those games, even though they had guys sidelined for COVID. So I love Lovey Smith. Love what he's doing down there. Respect, mad respect for that. The only game they had to miss was the Ohio. Was it Ohio State or they, they just missed? Yeah, Ohio State game. So mad respect for those guys down there in Illinois. And that was Ohio State canceled too. I wasn't on Illinois. Right. Illinois didn't get my game. So and oh, yeah. Ohio- and Wisconsin didn't have to forfeit those games. So fuck Wisconsin. Let's go Illinois. Big fan. Well, not this weekend, but yeah, yeah right. <laughs> For sure, nonetheless. So. Well, but no, Bo, you you kind of hit on it. I mean, if you guys are cool with it, I think we can roll into the keys of victory. Let's let's I was just gonna say, let's let's take it, let's head down to Dill for the keys to victory. Nice, nice. Oh, I touched on this one earlier, y'all. But number one, key to victory versus the Illinois Illinois Fighting Illini is going to be time of possession. We've got to hold on to the ball. We've got to be able to make plays. 
I'm, I'm looking at Spencer Petras for this one. You know, th- this is a great time to have your breakout week, young man. Uh, you know, put your name on the Hawkeye map. Uh, we're, we're counting on you. You know, take a big, deep breath before before you get under center every play. You know, and just do what do what everyone do what everyone in that football complex knows you can do, and have yourself a day, young man. Uh, second, second, this has been a common theme as well, but it's going to be very important yet this week with the defense in Illinois that's not one of the better ones in the Big Ten. I'm going to say it. You guys already know. You want to say it in unison with me? We're going to run the damn ball. That's what we need to do. You know, if Spencer Petras can be a game manager and we can run the damn ball and T. Goodson and Makai Sargent can go off a little bit with a touchdown or a couple touchdowns each, we're going to have a good, good day. Uh, Bo alluded to this one. Number three. Our pass defense, and specifically, big play pass defense. Now, if teams want to play like Nebraska and throw the ball underneath all day long, let them. That's okay. That's what the two-man unders for. That's what our bend-but-don't-break defense is all about. You know, we can let Illinois kick field goals all day, and if our offense is rolling and we're scoring touchdowns, it ain't going to matter. So, those are my big three. What do you guys think? Love it, dude. I think the biggest thing right there is time of possession. I think we really need to dominate the time of possession here. Rob, what do you think? Yeah, time of possession for sure. The last two wins uh, that Illinois has, they've dominated in the time of possession. Um, they actually, when I was looking at their game against, they, they won against Rutgers, which was a close game. Um, they ran the ball 59 times, um, and they only passed the ball for 18 times as a team. So I feel like they're, I mean, they can be versatile. I think that they have playmakers in the past game, but they kind of seem to me the way that uh, Minnesota is a little bit in the way that they seem to give the ball to Ibrahim Muhammad or Muhammad Ibrahim, um, you know, uh, just a shit ton. And uh, even though they have like guys like Rondell Moore and uh, is that, yeah, that's, no, that's, that's Purdue. Uh, Rashad, uh, Rashad Bateman, Rashad Bateman. Bateman. That's what I'm thinking of. Yeah. You know, those guys like that on the outside and they have a, a really decent tight end over there. Um, and a guy who can throw the ball. Like we were worried about that. I feel like this is the same thing. Like they have it, they have a decent quarterback. They have, uh, they kind of run, do a run and gun situation, but, uh, but I feel like if we can just run the ball and stop the run, which is like our strengths, I think that Illinois, I mean, I was going to, kind of run away with this one um it's interesting though because if you look at um so this is iowa minus 13 and a half is the spread um and right now the over-under is at 51 i don't know i feel like that one is a tough call for being under but i it's tough to it's tough to say under when when you're when you you know beat them 63 nothing a few years ago and Seems like if we just play the, our game that we normally play, we should come away with a pretty handily a, a win or pretty handily, you know what I mean? So, I guess what do you, what do you? It's hard to as far as these numbers I'm getting from as far as the all the for all the degenerates out there and the betting lines. I feel like these are sort of right on the money. 
It's tough. The worst part about it is that Iowa really hasn't scored a whole lot when they play at 2.30. They usually score a fuckload when they play at 11 o'clock. So that makes me think the under. And these games usually are really close, especially with games that we should win. They're not going to be blowouts like what we saw against Michigan State. Illinois likes to keep it tough. Plus, they're on a two-game winning skid, and they had an extra week to prepare for Iowa. I see this personally being an under score. It's going to be it's going to be close. I don't know about the spread being two touchdowns is 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 quite a bit. Um, and, and I'll get to that in my prediction a little bit later. But uh, that's that's my opinion on that. Is you go with the under. I don't know if you take the spread. Tough. I partially agree with Bo. As betters out there, you're going to hammer the under and you're going to hit Iowa with the spread. This is going to be very similar to like a Minnesota Iowa game, like 35 to seven type score. Interesting. Wow. Wow. Mm-hmm. I got, uh, I got Iowa 24, 24, 13. Oh, are we, are we going with predictions? I didn't know we were already going with predictions, but okay. I like it. Yeah. I, I, just, I just meant in general. In general. Oh shit. Yeah, Sorry. Yeah, that's okay. My my prediction is that we're going to keep it seven straight. Iowa Iowa hasn't lost to Illinois since 2008. We're going to win 24-13. Okay, okay. I'm going 31-13. to 13. So, a little, little higher scoring, and we cover the spread myself. Love it. Really? 31-13. to 13. So, I, I, so, I actually picked these numbers because I was thinking that I, or I was going to score three touchdowns, three field goals. And so I was thinking that we're going to have a final score of 30, which means if they hit the under, then Illinois has to score less than 21. Uh, so I think that's doable. And I think that 13 is a score that I think that they can, that we would allow, because we're definitely going to allow under 20 points, 20 or under for sure, especially against this team. So I was thinking 30 to 13, Bill. Nice. Not like we're playing Price is Right or anything. <laughs> Undercutting me by one. I see you, Rob. I'm going to remember that. But think about it. I mean, we haven't shown the ability to score a shit ton of points. And our defense mm-hmm. seems to be able to shut people down. Yep. Illinois doesn't mm-hmm. have a prolific offense. And they don't have any, like, I don't know. I it, it's tough to say that they don't have any M- NFL prospects on the offensive side of the ball that are playmakers. Maybe Emator or, or that guy is you know possibly in there, but I mean they're above average college football players, and I think that's the type of stuff that our defense eats for lunch. Well, oh, think yeah. about this too. Like when we played Michigan State, we had uh, we had points off of special teams too. So. Like you said, our, I don't think our, I don't know if our offense is capable of scoring that many points unless we are getting great field position, you know, close to the end zone. I'll tell you what. You know what? If we Go score ahead, three, Rob. sorry, if we score three touchdowns, we win the game. Yeah, I, I bet, agree. I bet if we score three touchdowns, we cover and win the game. Okay, and here's a hot take for me too, for all you Twitter users that have been arguing with me. I'm going to go with a hot take here. I think Spencer Petrus throws two-plus touchdowns this week. Really? Yep, two-plus. He, he's been at the one mark. I don't know if he's hit two yet or not. I could be wrong there. I didn't think he had yet. But so I hope is, you're right, dude. I hope I so hope you're right. I, I this think will be this the proven week. game. That, that would, if he does, if he goes out and let's say he throws three touchdowns, which 
God, that is even tough to say those mm-hmm. words. But if he does do that, this is the game where they're going to be like, this is when he started really being really good. This is when he turned things around. Right. You know, this is when he everything clicked for him. You know, they always throw those buzzwords. Right. In the words of Rob, it could happen. <laughs> that would be shocking, but it could happen. <laughs> but it could happen. You know, and here's the deal. He's got four touchdowns, five picks. It'd be sweet for him to get at least two, if not three touchdowns in the air. And honestly, if if I was running the ball good enough or at least getting themselves in good field position, I could definitely see Brian Ferentz saying, hey, let's work on our red zone offense, throw the ball up there. And, you know, Brandon Smith wore that sweatshirt this week is like unguardable. Like throw it up for him. He, 50-50 ball, he's coming down with it 100% of the time. So, yeah. Yeah, he, he throws that sweatshirt on. He's had a few drops that have been a little suspect in my eyes. So, <laughs> Brandon, I think you're a stud. Prove me right. Come on now. <laughs> That's, you know, yeah, he did have a couple of suspect drops, especially last week. And then days later, he's wearing a sweatshirt just unguardable. <laughs> like, how about you catch the ball? I like, I, I like the confidence. You know, those, those wide receivers, they got to have that confidence. I'm okay with it. I'm okay with it, but prove us right. Classic We're all high on you, man. We're all high on you. Well, right? I love it. Well, uh, so if that happens and the Hawks win, that'd be excellent. Um, we went into our predictions, guys. Uh, what else? What are some final thoughts we can we can leave our listeners with before we close this thing out? Got anything, Bo? Yeah, thanks for listening. We appreciate it. If you uh, if you guys are big fans of Bushlight like we are, go check out the orange cans if you guys can see it on YouTube. Uh, <laughs> play some Big Buck Hunter. I mean, waste some time, waste some battery on your phone, and uh, drink some Bushlight because it's fucking good, dude. It's easy to chug. Way easy. I like it. I like it. And then another quick plug here in the next few weeks as well, we got some big – basketball games coming up and you know we're, we're playing our in-state rival Iowa State uh, we got North Carolina coming up and then I think the Zags we got Gonzaga that following week so uh, a big couple weeks for Iowa athletics and you know potentially that Saturday uh, that would be the Big Ten championship obviously Iowa's not gonna be playing in that but if Iowa plays you know if Iowa plays Ohio State that day for essentially the number three for the third place game in the big 10 and then Iowa plays Gonzaga that day. And then Iowa state who we don't really care for here on this podcast, but nonetheless, they're in the state of Iowa could potentially, or will be playing in the big 10, big 12 championship. It's just going to be a wild day for the state of Iowa athletics. So. Cheers to that guys. That'll be yeah, interesting for sure. to watch. I will Good. say Cheers to that. on that note, before we close it out, I just want to point out, and we were talking about this before the podcast, but just on a basketball side of things, and we can maybe talk more about basketball at another time, but Luca Garza is absolutely amazing. And uh, he impresses me more every time I see him. And I don't expect him to be as good as he is. And I don't know why I don't, but he takes sometimes he'll take a shot that I'm like, uh, maybe not that shot. Like, or I don't know about that yeah. you know, selection, you know, as far as that goes, but he just puts it in. It just goes in. He's just got an unbelievable range of moves. And granted, we beat Western Illinois by 40-something. He had 30 points in the first half. For the second 
game in a row. Now I haven't played anybody, but we'll play North Carolina next week. And I'm very interested to see how he does against the top competition. So that's my plug. Yeah. And just overall thoughts on love it. And another quick plug regarding Iowa basketball too. If you, if you guys are just football fans listening to this, I highly recommend giving this basketball team a watch. Uh, you know, the, the depth on this team is just unmatched from any Iowa basketball team that I have ever seen in my lifetime where, you know, you got guys like, you know, senior Luca Garza, who's, you know, definitely a candidate for player of the year for the Naismith. And then you got, you know, freshman coming off the bench and Keegan Murray, you know, who's playing a significant role and can see some significant minutes down the line as well. So uh, this team is just stupid deep. Uh, and I, I think they got a shot to do some damage. I don't want to give them any unwanted expectations. All I'll say is this is the year to watch Iowa basketball. And then uh, for those of you wrestling fans that are listening as well, rumor has it schedules are coming out around New Year's time. So uh, sounds like college wrestling is officially a go this year as well. Sweet. Love to hear that. Love to hear that. And love to see Iowa ranked in the top five right now. I think that we have three teams in the top uh, in the top five right now i think it's iowa wisconsin and illinois before they got beat by baylor but still they just baylor is the number two team in the nation so big 10 basketball is is fucking lit so if you guys are not basketball fans appreciate what's going on in big 10 basketball especially with iowa because this is uh this is a special year absolutely absolutely this is the first time that the hawks have been ranked number three in the nation since january 1st 2016. Prior to that, it was the 1986-87 team that was eventually ranked number one, uh, the only time in the history of the Hawkeyes that were ranked number one, which was uh, January 20th, 1987, and I was not yet born. <laughs> See, now I was going to say, I think that was the team that lost to some of our older listeners are going to be upset by me saying this, but I'm almost positive that was the team that lost to UNLV in the elite eight when they had like a 20 point first half lead and blew it. So to go to the final four. What a Let's... great way to close us out guys. What could have been. What could have been. Thanks for listening. And let's go Hawks. Let's go Hawks.